Hey, Hawkeye fans, Chad Lystico, Tyler Tashman of the Des Moines Register, our Hawk Central YouTube pod back in its 430 home after we moved it up a half hour last week. Uh, stay tuned for a schedule change next week, by the way, because uh, Tyler will be up at Big Ten Media Days. So we've got uh, some logistics to work out. We'll figure that out. But this week, Tyler, uh, it seems like there's always big news every week. <laughs> Uh, this week, certainly no exception. Uh, no surprise that Cade McNamara is out for the season. Uh, torn ACL, left knee. Uh, bummer for him, obviously. Uh, but additional news today is that Kirk Ferentz says that Cade will return in 2024. At least that's intent. his intent. So a lot of layers of quarterback talk here to start this week's conversation Heading into Saturday's uh, big 2.30 p.m. game against Purdue. Yeah, starting out with Cade, I just – I feel for him as he's been through a lot the last kind of year. Plus, he only appeared in three games last season, uh, then got injured, had the surgery toward the back end of 2022. And then at Iowa, it, it never feel, felt like his – he was able to kind of just get into a rhythm where he wasn't dealing with injuries he had the the hiccup at kids day at Kinnick that he didn't miss game action because of it but he was hampered because of uh that and then and now the ACL injury against Michigan State I, I just feel for him and kind of what he's had to go through um but on the other hand now it's going to be you know Deacon Hill making his first start in college uh on Saturday against Purdue for for an offense that was already struggling and that there's already been a lot of criticism around. Uh, there's now a lot more unknown, basically. I, I think Deacon Hill, I mean, his arm talent is pretty obvious. He can really throw the ball. He can move pretty well for his size. But this is just a guy that uh, before this season, he, he hadn't even attempted a, a pass in college. So there's just not a lot of experience. And I think there's just kind of a, a lot more unknown when it comes to what what Iowa's offense is capable of and what it's going to look like just because we don't know, uh, you know, what the Deacon Hill experience is going to be quite yet. Exactly. And uh, Cade McNamara um, would be a sixth-year senior next year. Uh, I know we're looking ahead a little bit here, but that's kind of the fun of podcasts uh, because this these next seven games, uh, Tyler, would – seem to shape a lot about the quarterback conversation moving forward. I mean, this is a great opportunity for Deacon Hill to make a case that he should be the number one quarterback in 2024. A long way to go here after a, you know, 11 for 27 game uh, the other day. But, you know, there's enough flash there with the arm strength. Um, that's just tantalizing right there. You know, if he throws a million interceptions like he did on Kids Day, it's going to be a pretty short conversation, but he, he puts himself into the conversation and it's not, again, we talked about it last week. It's not like the schedule is super daunting. Now this week, Purdue is going to attack, 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 attack with Ryan Walters as head coach. He's the same head coach that or same. Uh, he coached Illinois defense last year, the same defense that held Iowa to six whopping points over in Champaign. So, um, this is an attacking defense that's going to throw a lot at Deacon Hill. It's now got a game film on Deacon Hill, which Michigan State really didn't have. So I expect, I guess, I guess expectations for me are kind of limited this week. I mean, as they always are for Iowa's offense, but 
for Deacon in his first career college start. I guess what do you kind of let's let's try to forecast what do you kind of expect to see from him on Saturday? I think the the good news is that well the the sneak I guess is one <laughs> the Deke sneak is one of the good news, but I think that would actually be beneficial in like short yardage uh, circumstances where you basically because we've seen how Jalen hurts that's basically it's almost unstoppable on that short yardage where you, he just kind of plunges forward and. Uh, Deacon has the frame to be able to do that. I think Kirk Barron said today that they don't tackle quarterbacks in practice, but if they did, he assumes it would be, take more than a hand to get them down. Yeah. I agree with. That's the um, second time you brought up his girth, by the way, in two <laughs> answers. So six three two fifty eight. Yeah, I didn't use the exact word of girth, but um, anyhow, uh, no, I think being able to utilize his arm, his arm strength, because. It, it's pretty obviously um, one of his strengths. And, and I think it was interesting. It was pleasant to talk to him today. Like, he's a really interesting guy. He credits his arm strength to playing water polo. He played water polo. He said he played his first game when he was four years old. Um, he stopped when he was in high school, but there was actually a learning curve in, in him throwing a water polo ball is obviously different than a football. He said there was a learning curve and kind of the motion of throwing the ball. Um, but yeah, no, he's just a really interesting guy. Very, uh, is a very authentic, very welcoming. Uh, Logan Jones really spoke highly of him, of just the type of person he is. And he kind of, he said he, he looks like a 50 year old, uh, 50 year old man, which I can kind of see that a little bit, but um, also just his story of like, he was at Wisconsin for two seasons. One of them he redshirted and he basically said he committed to Fordham after he entered the portal. And he was basically saying he wanted to just play FBS football and it wasn't looking like it was trending that way. Commits to Fordham a few, uh, you know, shortly after gets a call from Iowa. And he said it was basically a no brainer at that point. So this is a guy that might not have even been playing FBS football. So it, he has a, it's really kind of an interesting story. Yeah, sure is. Uh, he's a, uh, he's a Mormon kid. He talked about his faith a little bit today. Um, you know, church of Latter-day Saints. So just a super interesting, super interesting background and just seems to take a lot of joy in this opportunity. So I'm really excited just to see how it plays out. I just think there's going to be a lot of ups and downs. Uh, we did talk a lot about um, what the, you know, what, type of offense this could be with him. And Logan Jones said something to me and a couple others about, yeah, the playbook is, he doesn't want to say it's more open, but they can, they can do a lot more with Deacon just because despite being 258 pounds, he does move pretty well. It's, it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, and I would be curious to see what he could do if he does get kind of on the move. And I know we're talking about his weight again, but uh, you know, be a little bit of a downhill runner. I mean, could he on those bootlegs start running and, you know, maybe run over a guy or two, uh, you know, a cornerback who's 60 pounds lighter. Uh, you know, he, he looked pretty good in the boot game the other day. When I watched the DVR, when I watched the Mon uh, DVR Monday or thing for DVR Monday, the film, you know, he missed a lot of check down options. I think he was kind of going for that big shot and that's something he's going to have to learn, but there was stuff there. Uh, it's just a matter of how quickly that stuff, can come uh you know nico Ragini was was open on a check down on one play um, i'm trying to remember who the other one was 
but it was uh, maybe it was a running back, perhaps. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, he's got a lot to learn. But you get Purdue, and then it's the Wisconsin game. He gets to go home to Wisconsin. So, you know, if it doesn't go well this week, it's starting to feel like this season has a bit of a rough turn to it. And I don't know. I, just, I feel like it. There's actually quite a bit at stake with Deacon's first career start because if this doesn't go well, I don't envision the Wisconsin one going too well up there. And then all of a sudden you're one and three in the big 10 and I don't know. What and what are you playing for? So um, I don't know. I, I just feel like it's a really high stakes game this week and the spread reflects that it's two and a half point spread for Iowa. I, I thought it was interesting. I was actually talking to someone who coached him in high school, coach Deacon in high school who was the offensive line coach and, and run game coordinator now former, but he brought up the comparison that Deacon had been uh there had been parallels brought up between him and Ben Roethlisberger. And I can actually see that of um, bigger quarterbacks that have, I mean, I mean, it's Ben Roethlisberger. Drink. <laughs> yeah. That might not be a good game to play for this, but um, uh, bigger quarterbacks with big arms. I thought that that was an interesting uh, comparison to bring up, but at the same time, uh Deacon needs help around him. He did not get a lot of help him around around him on the offense against Michigan State. The running game was basically non-existent. And not only that, but and I'll give credit to LaShawn Williams, who, who owned up to the mistake today when we talked to him and was transparent about it. But Iowa's offense is not good enough to make up for major mistakes, much less mistakes that are going to end in opponents having touchdowns. So they, you know, that cannot happen. And uh, the wide receiver drops a lot of, I guess, attention made towards trying to get the wide receivers more involved heading into that Michigan State game. Deacon Hill tried, and there were too many drops. Um, the offensive line as well um, feels like it needs to needs to get something going with the run game to open things up. So I, for as difficult as a situation as he was in against Michigan State, he just he did not kind of get the help around him that – I think he deserved. And, and Deacon Hill does come in highly ranked. I mean, he was uh, one of our Twitter followers, you know, asked the question, you know, he was the ranked uh, the 22nd quarterback in his class by rivals. I mean, that's nationally. So that's a, you know, he, he came in with good credentials out of Santa Barbara, California. He asked, uh, you know, he could be a good player if he becomes that this season. That would make a very interesting situation for both Cade and Kirk uh, in year 26 for Kirk. Uh, and what's interesting, too, is, is Tyler, that both Deacon Hill and uh, Cade McNamara are John Budmeyer guys. So, you know, as we get into the who's going to be the offensive coordinator next year conversation, perhaps that is something to just keep an eye on uh, if those two are your quarterbacks. They, they have a – you know, they were brought here basically by Budmeyer, not Brian Ferentz. So – uh, kind of interesting there. And, yeah, Deacon's got a little bit of upside to him. I mean, he wasn't as highly ranked by on three or two, four, seven. But, uh, you know, he was, you know, he went to Wisconsin for a reason. And he was a, a decent rated recruit there. And uh, I guess just let's just finish the conversation about the future of the quarterback. So somebody's going to fall off here, right? Uh, if Cade's coming back, uh, you got Marco Linez presumably coming back, getting his first spring ball. You know, is Joe Labus, does he become the odd man out here? Um, if Deacon performs well, I think that's probably, I mean, 
the way quarterbacks go, right? Someone's going to transfer at some point. And, um, but if Hill goes, if the Hill experiment goes wrong, then it is Joe Labus time. And, you know, he's played one career game and he played four pretty solid quarters, uh, down in, at the music city bowl. Now he had a whole month to prepare for that start, but still I'm, you know, count me intrigued if Joe Labus has to come in the game on Saturday as well. He's, he's got some more ability with his legs as well. Smaller guy, but, uh, but kind of has that improvisational reputation. So I kind of also think that how Deacon does affects Joe Labus and his future with the Hawkeyes. I think the issue with the converse, this conversation is that, Again, there's instability in the quarterback room for Iowa. And some of that is kind of out of their control just with injuries, but it's something that they have to deal with. Again, I mean, if you look at last season, Spencer Petras, he, he didn't, he wasn't, he what he wasn't what the offense needed um and was a target for criticism. But at, at the same time, uh, you know, Alex Padilla had a shot, you know, to a much limited, much more limited extent. And, uh, and then Joe Labus started the Music City Bowl. So last season, it just it didn't feel like you had the guy that was going to be that stable, consistent presence at the quarterback position. And, and I think the hope was that with Cade McNamara, that would be the case, is that you know maybe he wasn't going to be throwing for 400 yards, but there was going to be an experienced guy back there that kind of took away that, that issue the offense had. And that was far from the only issue, but I think that there was hope that Cade would be the guy. That would be something you wouldn't have to, you know, worry about on a game-to-game basis. Now, obviously, that's changed again because of the injury. It didn't feel like Cade really ever got his footing, and now we're in this kind of cycle again of being uncertain of what the quarterback is going to provide on a game-to-game basis. And like I said, not the only issue, but quarterback is going to get a lot of the attention, whether that be good or bad. And we just don't know right now what that is, you know, on a snap to snap basis. Well, and one other thing that I mean, it's definitely a negative, I would say is, uh, you know, you've, if with Cade coming back, you're really, you're kind of limiting your options in the transfer portal at quarterback. You're not going to, you know, no one's going to want to come here. And Iowa may not even go out to seek one at this point. Um, and then you're going to rely again on a guy with, you know, two torn ACLs. He's not going to actually have two torn ACLs next summer, but he's going to have two repaired knees, you know, when he's finally healthy in June. And it's just like, uh, are you going to really rely on this injury prone guy yet again? If you look at Cade McNamara's history, redshirted, played a handful of games in the COVID year. Then he played the full season in 2021. It's the only full season he's played. Three games last year, five games this year. So honestly, he probably could apply for a seventh year and get it, you know, if he really wanted to. But you know, I think I think six is probably enough, probably for him, uh, if he can get that one year. But it's real interesting to see, you know. Obviously, Iowa wants him, loves him, all that stuff, but and believes in him. But uh, I don't know. If with Cade coming back, you're not going to get anybody else to come in. All right, so. Our next topic, we ran long there, is how can Iowa help the current quarterback, whoever it is? And one thing I wrote about today was, is it time finally to once and for all create the, the Cooper DeGene package of plays on offense, five to seven is all I suggested, 
and implement them this week. Why, you know, if not now, when? I mean, this is these are his last seven games as a Hawkeye plus a bowl game. Most likely he's going to be a first-round pick. He's clearly the, the most exciting guy with the ball in his hands on the whole roster. Clearly the best player on the team. He wants to do it. Uh, Kirk Ferentz didn't say no, but he also didn't really sound like it was close to a yes. But still, I still feel like it's a discussion that needs to be had. Kirk acknowledged that they have had that discussion. At least, at least there's that. I think in an ideal world where you don't have to worry about someone getting tired or, you know, injuries, then yeah, I think you throw them out there. And I'm not, I think it, I, I'm not against your kind of idea of having five to seven plays. You know, he, he doesn't need to be out there every single drive by any means, but I, I think that that's a fair point. And, and I, I wouldn't be against seeing that. I think the other part that, you know, the risk you run is he's out there for punts now, which is putting him, you know, in another spot where he could be injury prone. If you put him on offense, that's another chance where he could get hurt. And and are you willing to risk losing him for the season to play one or two offensive snaps? Because you look at what happened with Travis Hunter, who I know you made the kind of comparison to uh, today with him, but um, he gets hurt playing offense. And that was just a freak thing. Like it doesn't matter if you're playing offense or defense, but he was out there for that extra time. And there's just more of a chance that something like that is going to happen the more you're on the field, especially if you have the ball in your hands. So um, I think that's something to take into account as well. And also I thought Kirk Ferentz made a fair point that look at what happened to Iowa's defense when he wasn't on the field against Nebraska. I mean, last season where basically all Iowa had to do was beat Nebraska to get to the Big Ten Championship. Cooper DeGene gets hurt and their uh, secondary just gets torched by Trey Palmer. So if he goes down for some reason because he's playing on offense, then you might be leaving your secondary in a difficult spot. If he can't play as much defense because he is taking some snaps on offense you know, how does that factor? I think you feel okay with Jamari Harris and Deshaun Lee back there, but at the same time, uh, Jamari Harris still hasn't played a lot this season. Deshaun Lee is still a young guy. Um, you know, you don't want to leave your defense in a bad position because of, you know, trying to stretch Cooper to Gene too thin. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm not saying like, you got to do this. What are you waiting for? But I'm saying have the discussion. You know, especially with the other guys healthy, especially Jamari and Deshaun Lee healthy, Sebastian Castro, Xavier Wampa, Quinn Schulte, all, you know, available, all that stuff you've got. I'm not saying bench, take, I'm not saying take Cooper off the defense, but again, five plays, run him on a deep That's route. What I'm hearing. I'm hearing you say take him run. off the defense and right, yeah. put him uh, at quarterback and wide receiver. Yeah. You know, but he, doesn't, he knows what he's doing at corner. He doesn't really need like all these, you know, practice reps. At, on defense, to be honest. Uh, now he'll study the film, but run him on a deep route, run him in wildcat. Um, give him a wide receiver screen, you know, line him up three times a receiver, throw deep once, screen once, whatever. Uh, he'll certainly draw attention. You would think if they're smart and that might help too. So, um, you know, you can't have him and Caleb Brown on the field at the same time. Cause they both were number three, but, but Caleb Brown's not playing much anyway. And he dropped uh, the best throw that's been made to him this year. So, um, we'll see uh, other changes in the offense that I'd like to see. I just I feel like more Seth Anderson. It seemed like they had a little bit of a rapport going drew a couple of pass interference flags or, or one for sure. And then one could have been, 
Um, maybe they work together a little bit more, he and uh, Hill. And to me, he's the best-looking receiver they have right now, and he usually catches the ball, so that's good. Um, I guess that any other changes you would like to see before we turn to men's basketball talk? Uh, maybe not changes, but just like emphasis, points of emphasis for this offense surrounding Deacon Hill. I think it was good. It well, I don't know how to say good, but it sounds like there's a chance Caleb Johnson could play on Saturday. It doesn't. It still sounds like it's unclear, but getting him back would definitely be a help in the run game. Uh, Jazz Patterson will be out again Saturday for the third consecutive game. And I think that his skill set, I could actually use more than Caleb Johnson because he kind of packs a little bit more power and speed to where Caleb Johnson right now is just a little more power guy. But I think if Caleb Johnson can come back and, and help that run game uh, is is a big deal because uh, LeSean Williams has kind of been inconsistent. Kamari Moulton, I think, has been really good, but – um, for a fresh, for a true freshman um, to to play this big of a role this early in his career, um, you know, is a big ask. So I think being able to get Caleb Johnson back as and getting the offensive line moving in the right direction, to me, you know, especially with the run game to take some of that pressure off of what is asked of Deacon Hill, um, that's that's kind of something I'm definitely looking at. Well, we will definitely talk more about the Purdue matchup in our radio show tomorrow night, so stay, stay tuned for that in our five big questions segment. Uh, we'll also have some women's basketball talk tomorrow night because it's women's media day tomorrow. But, Tyler, uh, let's talk men's basketball media day. Let's uh, let's get the get some hoops fix here uh, with the Hawkeyes having their men's media day yesterday. Uh, you were there. I was not. I did not make it. I uh, had a family commitment. My daughter's uh, turned 11. Uh, so it's a very uh, exciting day for our family and my wife's leaving town. So we have a lot of, uh, uh, stuff going on. So it was great to have a little family time ahead of the storm this week. Uh, so thank you for covering us. So turning it to you now, what do you want to talk about first? What did you, what was your biggest takeaway from men's basketball media day? Yeah. Well, happy birthday to your daughter. Yeah. Um, she's awesome. Uh, it was a yeah. fun day. I, Patrick McCaffrey was expressing his dissatisfaction that you weren't there. So <laughs> I I was glad. Yeah, you sent me the audio of that. Uh, I hope he's I hope he's joking. Uh, if he wasn't joking, we've got a threat on our hands potentially. No, no, I'm he just was kidding. Not, I know I'm yeah. kidding. Um, anyway, what? Yeah, what? What do you feel? I mean, well, as, I it seems know. like you're kind of optimistic about this team, right? Oh yeah. Well, obviously, I mean this this team is vastly different than it was last season. A lot of new faces. Uh, in a lot of faces out. Chris Murray and, and Philip Robracha are are obviously two really big losses. But um, for me, one of the big takeaways was just basically how is everything coming together? There's four freshmen, uh, two transfers. How is this all building chemistry, cohesiveness, all that uh, working so far? And one of the things I found out was, so they obviously went to on the foreign troop, foreign tour to Europe, one of the ways they bonded was that they went on a bike ride at like roughly 2 a.m. in Paris and like went around the Eiffel Tower, all that. That was a lot of a handful of their favorite memories off the court was uh, biking, you know, in the dark. So um, I think that was kind of a good indication of, of how their chemistry is building off the court and their camaraderie. But um I think they have potential. I think it's going to look a lot different than it has in the 
previous few seasons from Iowa basketball, there's no clear cut star. There's no Chris Murray. There's no Keegan Murray. There's no Luca Garza. You don't have that obvious guy that you look at as like, he is going to dominate. Not to say that that can't happen, but there's just not that clear candidate to do so. Um, I think Ben Cricky, you know, someone who played at a really high level, but at a lower uh, you know, lower level of college basketball playing in the Missouri Valley Conference at, at Valparaiso. He felt like he can make the jump. I think he is kind of one of the obvious guys that you look at can fill in some of that uh, front court production that was lost because Chris Murray and Philip Abracha, not only were they uh, Iowa's two best uh, players in the front court, uh, but they were also uh, two Iowa's best players, like period. So, um, there's a lot lost there. I think uh, Ben Cricky, though, seems optimistic he can make that jump. Uh, so, yeah, I'll, I'll throw it to you for any thoughts as well. Yeah, I, my opinion has not changed. I think Peyton Sanford's going to be the best player on this team. Um, but I've heard really good things about Ben Cricky, and uh, it's really good to hear Patrick McCaffrey is is uh, feeling good with his mental health, feeling good physically. Uh, I think he could be, you know, he kind of took a little bit of a backseat last year for this team. So I think those three guys plus Tony Perkins, you do have a lot of veteran presence um, to build around. And then what I wanted to ask you about, because we don't have much time left here, Tyler, but uh, reading the Fran McCaffrey transcript and everything he had to say. Now, he's always high on everybody, but <laughs> um, he's uh, – He's never met, you know, a player he doesn't like uh, publicly. But I've also heard good things behind the scenes about all four of these true freshmen, Brock Harding, Owen Freeman, uh, Laji Dembele, and, of course, Price Sanford, who, uh, you know, also has the green light, it seems. Um, But they're all four totally different players. And I think, I mean, Fran says all four are going to play. So uh, maybe give me – give us a little breakdown of each guy – um, what Fran had to say about him and, you know, what, what maybe at least at this point expect from these guys this season. Brock is a undersized, but uh, really crafty ball handler plays with a lot of confidence, a lot of moxie price. Sanford is kind of, he, he has a frame of what you would look at as a modern wing. You know, he's long. Um, he can spread the floor. He can shoot the rock. Uh, I was really impressed. We got to look at a little bit of practice. Laji Dembele, his frame, I mean, he he's he has a Big Ten ready body, um, a lot of strength, athleticism. Uh, and then Owen Freeman, I, I think he can be a really important part of, of filling in that those front court departures because he had 31 rebounds in the first two games of the foreign tour, which is ridiculous. And I know you know, we don't know exactly what the competition was like and all that, but I think he can be a really important part in, in terms of what Iowa does on the glass, being kind of an energy guy. That's something – rebounding is something that you can really control no, no matter what else is going on. And, and Iowa was undersized last season playing uh, Chris Murray and Philip Abracha. So having a guy with a little bit more size that can get stuff done on the glass I think is important. And I look at it like you said – you have Peyton Sanford, Tony Perkins, uh, and uh, I, I would throw Ben Cricky along with Patrick McCaffrey in there as kind of the four core guys that you hope to be able to rely on to to do a bulk of the work. But outside of that, 
I think you need some of these kind of wild cards to step up. You need a DeSante Bowen to really make a jump or a Josh Dix or, you know, one or more of these freshmen uh, to supplement what you hope those four core guys can provide on, on a game to game basis. So uh, I think it's really interesting. I, I think Iowa has the chance to surprise some people. I think it also depends on how, how it comes together because there's six new scholarship players, a lot gone. Uh, it just, it's going to look a lot different than last season. So how quickly that comes together, I, I'm not quite sure yet. Well, we will have a ton of time, Tyler, to talk about hoops all winter long. And uh, your first year on the beat, we we're turning over this Hawkeye men's beat to you in a, in a really big way this year and excited for that. I know you're going to do a great job having covered Indiana the last three years, right? So um, you did an awesome job with that from the clips I read. So Hawkeye fans should be really excited about Tyler covering the team. Obviously, I'm going to be covering them as well, but I'm also with the women, the wrestling, with the football. So um, I try to like you know keep my fingers in everything so uh should be a fun uh should be a fun basketball season men and women again we'll have women's coverage 8 a.m tomorrow uh at hawk central starting men and throughout the day and also on a radio show so uh final thoughts on football i guess uh big game homecoming sold out again i, I keep pointing to this fact that they're home basically five out of seven games here with the sixth game being in Wrigley field, which is going to feel like a home game with so many Hawk fans in Chicago. So it's really an opportunity to ride the home crowd like you did the other day and, and try to squeak out a win. It's not going to be pretty any game the rest of the year. No, I don't think they're going to blow anybody out. They'll be lucky to, but um, it'll be fun. I think it's, it's always fun. The unknown is always a little bit fun. I feel like it could be scary. Uh, kind of like a first time you go on the roller coaster for the first, you know, <laughs> you're looking forward to you waiting that long line. Uh, the first ride can always be uh, good good or bad. You don't know. And we're going to find out Saturday, man. Yeah, and if Iowa's offense is regresses or kind of stays the same, I think you look at, like you were saying, kind of scrapping their way. And a way that they can do that is by doing what they did against Michigan State, which is creating turnovers, having really good special teams play, because uh, there were four takeaways uh, that Iowa had in that Michigan State game, four made field goals, and then the punt return touchdown. It's basically sort of the formula of what how Iowa won last season with basically this failing offense that was kind of dragged to the finish line by the defense and special teams. I know that's probably not the formula that Iowa fans want, but I don't know how many choices you have at this point this season. Maybe the offense does get better. But if it doesn't, you need to excel in, in defense, in, in, in takeaways, in creating havoc, in uh, anything. And, you know, even the Kinnick crowd, which played a huge factor, I thought, uh, and I know you wrote about in that uh, Michigan State game, even little things like that, the pre-snap penalties. Iowa has been really good in limiting its own penalties this season. They need to continue to do that in basically just any little – ways that they can find an advantage that might not necessarily be linked to offense they need to do. Yeah. 132nd ranked offense out of 133 in FBS. Sam Houston State pulling down, pulling the rear right now. So that's good for the Hawkeyes. But they're not last yet, but they are next to last. So anyway, on that note, uh, for Tyler Tashman, this is Chad Lystico for the Hawk Central Pod. Talk to you tomorrow on the radio show and then post game uh, Saturday night. Take care.